morning, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis 39 this morning as we continue the story of Joseph, or as we learned last week, as much about Judah as Joseph, right? Um, but today the story is, is strictly around the life of Joseph. So we're in Genesis 39, so as we, you find your way to there, um, before we read that, Daniel, I want to thank you for those songs There were two songs that we sang this morning that I thought just fit right in with what I want to share with you this morning, because, and the one is, It Is Well With My Soul. You guys know the story behind that song, how he had lost his wife and how many daughters? Four daughters, Etta, thank you. And on his way back across the sea to where, or he lost his daughters, not his wife. She, She survived, Horatio Spafford. Anyway, on the spot where his four daughters drowned, he wrote that song. Um, and I thought, boy, Joseph, I think, could have written that song. And then the song, um, the next song after that, the, as we were singing it, there was one phrase that just like, whoa, right there it is. It says, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you lo- are, Lord, I am free. And that's the story of Joseph in chapter 39, I believe. So if you're there, um, let's read. We'll read the whole chapter here in Genesis 39. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him down, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put me everything that he has in my charge, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew who... To laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me 
and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to her, this was the way your this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph there in prison. I'm sorry, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So as we pick up again the story of Joseph here in chapter 39, you've got a guy who's probably in his early 20s. He was was sold as a slave as a 17-year-old. But he's a handsome guy, and that is noticed. Everything he touches seems to turn to gold. It all works. And all of a sudden, he's faced with this incredible temptation or opportunity in front of him. And that whole situation there in the middle with Potiphar's wife is almost like a perfect storm that's set up. Um, And we'll look at that a little bit later here. But this is the place we often turn to this story about Joseph when we're talking about dealing with temptation. Specifically, men or boys, this is where we go to. We point people to Joseph and how he dealt with temptation and I think it's, it's absolutely wonderful that we do that because he gives us some incredible or val- a lot of value in how to respond to temptation. And he shows us what a real man does, I think. But maybe there's something more to this whole piece. And as I, as I read this whole story here in 39, you notice that the temptation that happens in the middle is sandwiched. In the first six verses, you have this story of how God was with Joseph and blessed him and blessed the people around him because of his life. And then you go away to the end, he's in prison, and it's almost the exact same wording that's used in the first six verses where God was with Joseph in the situation that he was in. And that word, that, that phrase, is what I want to look at this morning in Joseph's life. There's this theme that runs throughout all of Joseph's life, but we see it especially here in 39, where God's presence is evident in Joseph's life. And I'll look at what, what does that look like for Joseph, and then what does that look like for us? That presence, the Lord, or that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, signifies God's favor and his blessing in Joseph's life. And that phrase in that song, again, I think fits in so well with that, because it's a story of grace Where grace is found is where you are, his presence, and where you are, Lord, I am free. That wasn't Joseph's situation. He was not a free man, so to speak. So when you look at, or you think about the idea of God is with you, and God being with Joseph, 
maybe, maybe in our minds it would be easy. Maybe this is just me talking. So if you're like this, that's fine. If not, just listen along anyway. But it would be easy to understand that if Joseph's life was going smoothly, if things were going the way that he had thought they would. And I had to think back to chapter 37 when Joseph had his dreams, the two dreams that he told his brothers and how um, they would all be bowing down to him. His father, his mother would be bowing down to him. And he was given that robe, that kingly robe that signified this, I don't know, maybe an authority. And I wonder if Joseph didn't have this picture in his mind of this is what success looks like. I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading into that too much, but I, I can't help but think that that might have been in the back of Joseph's mind as a 17-year-old, no less. But we, we're going to see here in chapter 39 that God's definition of success was quite different than that definition of success. God's definition of success involved slavery. It involved being slandered. It involved being falsely or wrongly imprisoned. And yet, in the middle of all of that, it says God was with him. He was never alone through it. And maybe, maybe I'd go so far as to say in our, maybe in our Western Christianity, we kind of market Christianity that way. If you do this, this, and this, then this is going to be the result. So God's going to bless you if you give yourself to him. If, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I see that in myself. If I live a certain way, if I, this idea of perform a certain way, then God's blessing is going to be on me. Um, and there's no grace in that. And we'll, we'll see that at the end here then. So what should be the end result? And what does God with Joseph look like? So let's just look at the narrative here in chapter 39. We start off in verse 1 of chapter 39 is almost exactly as the last verse in chapter 37 that we had looked at. But he's sold into slavery. And I want you to think about that because when we go through these stories like Joseph, we hear him so often, we just kind of, oh, well, yeah, he was sold into slavery. No, he was sold to Potiphar. And in the end, it all worked out great. God used him to save his people. But put yourself in his shoes as a 17-year-old being sold into slavery. And as he, as he gets sold into slavery, and you know that his life before, he was this favored son. And so he went from being the favored son to essentially being a nobody, if you will. And as a slave, <clears throat> your ability to make your own choices is taken away from you. He is reduced to just nothing more than a monetary value. He ends up being sold on an auction block in Egypt just like a horse or an oxen. He's taken to a foreign land. It's a foreign language. He can't communicate with anyone. There are no friends there. He has no family there. He's surrounded by foreign gods. So how does a young man at 17 live a life of faithfulness and with such integrity in that kind of a situation. So the Lord was with Joseph. And chapter 39 spans approximately, there's probably some debate, about 11 years of Joseph's life. So we know that he, he left, he was sold into slavery as a 17-year-old, and in, 
in chapter 41, I believe it is, when he was put in charge of everything that Pharaoh had. He was 30. So that's a 13-year span right there um, from the time he was sold as a slave till when he is actually put in charge of the whole kingdom, the, only, the second next to Pharaoh. But there, were, there was a two-year period there, at least two years, and probably a little bit more that, uh, when he was in prison. It almost gives the idea that it was two years after he had interpreted the dream for the cupbearer that, th- that he got out of prison and it, it almost sounds like it was two years after the cupbearer got out of prison that Joseph was still in prison. So, I don't know. It could be anywhere from 10 years or 11 years that Joseph was a slave to Potiphar. So, it was a long, it was a long process, and it was a long time. And I, I can't imagine that there were a lot of dark days for Joseph during that, that time. So, who was Potiphar? What do we know about Potiphar? Because I don't think he's mentioned anywhere else in Scripture besides right here. We do know that he was a prominent man in Egypt. Um, He was a man of considerable wealth. In the the end of verse 5, it says, um, Joseph was put in charge of everything he had in his house and field. Um, He was a bigwig in the government. He says it was an officer, and that literally means a prince of the pharaoh. And he was also captain of the guard, and there's debate about what that exactly was, but most people would believe that that meant he was the chief executioner. I don't think that's the guy I want to be working for. I don't know about you, but that's, that sounds like a pretty tough task. If for sure, if you're a slave, man, you'd think you'd be on top of your game. So God was with Joseph as a slave, and we see that in verse 2, we see that starting And that's where that phrase first shows up. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. What does a successful prisoner or slave look like? Joseph was promoted by Potiphar. This promotion didn't happen in the first week. Like, I think it it was literally years of faithful service. And likely, he started out as nothing more than a shepherd or a stable hand, um, because I found it interesting, when you read the story from start to finish, you, you, you're able to connect some dots here. And I, I discovered something I didn't know. I think it's in chapter 46 when um, Joseph brings his whole family down to Egypt. right? So he brings his, his father, his brothers, all their families down to Egypt. And he tells them, when, when Pharaoh asks you what your occupation is, tell them that you're shepherds. Because shepherds are an abomination to Israel, or to the Egyptians. And it, it was kind of sneaky, actually, because then, Joe, then Pharaoh would give them this prime land up in Goshen, which was the, the most fertile land in all of Egypt. Um, so it was known to Potiphar. At least, you see it in, in the story of um, when Potiphar's or his wife tempted Joseph. She called him this Hebrew servant. It was known that he was a Hebrew, and likely it was known that he was a shepherd. So basically he started at the bottom, but because of his faithfulness, he kept working his way up um, through, the, through the system, if you will, in Potiphar's household. Now, the slavery was probably quite different, at least somewhat different, than it was when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, where it wasn't this, they were walking around with whips, cracking the whip everywhere. There was a possibility for a slave who was a good worker and faithful and did things well to move, to move on up and to be given certain amounts of freedom. But there is... 
certain amounts of freedom come, but there's certain things that were still signified that he was a slave. He could not quit his job. He couldn't decide, oh, hey, I want to go home. And I do, I do believe Joseph wanted to go home. He didn't want to be there. Because when he, when he told the, uh, the cupbearer to remember him when he gets out of prison, he wanted to get out of that prison. He recognized that he was in jail falsely. And he says that I was brought here by force. So I don't think Joseph was this some kind of super Christian dude or whatever. He was just like us. He didn't want to be there. And yet in the midst of being where he didn't want to be, he was faithful and God's presence was evidence in his life. And one of the ways that we see the presence of God being evident in his life is was at first it made uh, Joseph a successful man in that he moved up through the system in Potiphar's house and in succession of authority, if you will. But we also see um, in verse 4 where Potiphar put him in charge of everything that he had. And that's one of the evidences, I believe, um, of, of God being present in our lives, of us living with a godly with the, oh, what's the word I want? Knowing, living with the presence of God in everything that we do is it begins to affect and impact the people around us. It says that Potiphar's house was blessed basically according to the authority that he gave to Joseph. So Joseph is still a slave, but Potiphar is reaping tremendous benefits because of Joseph's faithfulness. And that's one of the evidences, I believe, of God being with him in the midst of it. He gives him absolute authority over everything that he's gotten. Um, There's literally not one thing that he worries about in his home. Joseph probably knows more about what's going on than Potiphar does. He says the only thing that he concerned himself about was with the food he ate. So quite the priorities the guy had. But it just shows you the amount of trust that he had in the integrity of Joseph to run his business, to run his household, and to run it well. So Potiphar's life, or his home, everything he had was completely blessed because of Joseph and Joseph's faithfulness. And here's where, I don't know, I, I wrestle with some of this stuff because it seems Joseph does everything right. And it's just like it's backfires on him. So he does... He does this, he's so faithful in serving Potiphar for all these years. And because of that, I think it's because of he, was, um, he was so faithful and because he was so prosperous and he helped Potiphar uh, be prosper, prosperous. And it didn't help that he was good looking. He was really good looking. This is, I think, is the only guy in the Bible, I think it says, I think it mentions about David maybe, but as handsome and good looking. It says, about, it says that about Joseph's mom. But there you have, he's the perfect guy to go on The Bachelor, whatever that TV show is. He would be the perfect guy to do it because he was handsome, he was prosperous, everything he touches to turns to gold, and she begins to take notice of it. And here's where it seems like this, it's this, this perfect storm, and it's almost like, oh man, Joseph is in such a pickle here because of his success, because of his good looks. And there's one other factor that 
I don't know if this is, if this is true or not, but there's a lot of... Um, it seems pretty evident that Potiphar was actually a eunuch. If you don't know what that is, you can ask, ask me afterwards and I'll explain it to you. But, and the marriage was simply a civil arrangement. It was for social status. It was for that kind of purpose and that alone. The word of, that's used to describe him as an officer is actually the word that is used to describe a eunuch at times. So you can imagine what the marriage is like. It's not going to be a healthy marriage. And furthermore, almost every commentator that you read will tell you that in this culture, the Egyptian women were very, very loose with their morals. So here's Joseph thrown into the situation against his choice. He does everything right. If It seems that way. It seems like he, he's so faithful in what he does. And it says God is with him and God blesses him. And all of a sudden he's faced with this incredible, incredible temptation. And I think the temptation goes far beyond the temptation simply to lust or the temptation to be commit adultery. I think the temptation is as much about him finding satisfaction or finding fulfillment in something outside of God. Um, but the temptation that he's faced with is so, so strong and it's continual. It says, I think it's in verse 10, it says that she would come to him and talk to him day after day after day. And at some point, you'd think you start getting worn down. But Joseph, <clears throat> in his response to them, to the temptation, and I think this is what, what makes it so powerful, and I believe it's evidence that God was with him throughout this whole temptation There is no vacillating on Joseph's part. There is no negotiating at all. It is simply a flat refusal. It's simply a no. Because I think as soon as we begin to negotiate or we begin to entertain the thoughts, even we begin to start, or we begin to lose ground. And Joseph, absolutely no negotiating. Verse 8 says, he just tells her flat out, no, he cannot do this. And he and he stands up to the temptation um, by three, three, different, three different responses, I guess, if you, um, to the temptation that Joseph has. And I want to look at those real quick before we get into um, the last part there. Number one, he tells her that it would be sinning against his master. He recognizes the amount of trust that his master has placed in him, and he will not violate that trust the second one, he says, he says I think it'd be a wick, he would be compromising his own convictions, his own conscience. He says it would be very, it would be a great wickedness to do this. And that word wickedness is defined as a mental disregard for righteousness, truth, honor, and virtue in thought and life. And then the third thing is um, it would be a sin against God. <clears throat> The one commentary I wrote, uh, I read, had this to say about that, and I don't remember who it was, I should know that, but he says this, the purpose, this purpose, that it would be a sin against God, this purpose, when all inferior arguments have failed, embodied the true principle of moral purity, a principle that is always sufficient where it exists, and alone is sufficient. So Joseph boldly stands in the face of temptation. 
And then comes verse 11, but one day. And it's like, oh boy, what's coming? You know something's, when you start a verse like that, it's like, oh no, something's going to go wrong. And notice this is the second time that his robe has gotten him into a pickle. Um, but we know the story, and I'm not, we're not going to take the time to go through that, how he's slandered, how he's falsely accused, and how she blames he, he, she blames Potiphar for bringing him into this household. And Potiphar's anger is kindled and Joseph ends up being thrown in prison. Now, where was the anger of Potiphar? This is in verse, verse 19, directed. I don't know, I seem, it seems to me that some of this might have been directed towards his wife. Because I, I think there's a, there's a part of him, this is kind of my, just my imagination going with the story, that didn't quite buy the story that she was telling him. Because you're the chief executioner, for one, and without question, the penalty for rape or attempted rape is what? You're a dead man. You're executed. You're, you're done. It's over. And instead, he throws him into prison. And furthermore... Potiphar sees what, what Joseph has brought to him. His life has become prosperous and blessed because of Joseph in his life. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a part of, part of it. He doesn't quite buy all of it. But he throws him into prison. And in chapter 41, Joseph calls this prison a pit, which is how what got him to Egypt in the first place. His brothers threw him into a pit. And then they sold him into, into prison. But likely, this prison was actually a part attached to Potiphar's house. And part of it contained an underground dungeon. So Joseph is slandered against. He does the right thing. And when he, when he the part of the story where he flees temptation, that's where like, it's like, man, he was man enough to know when it's time to run. And we often use that because that is such... Such a good example for us to know when to run, when to fight and when to run. And we all stand up and we want to cheer for the guy. And what does it get him? It's just another downturn. Or it seems like it seems like everything just falls apart. He gets thrown into prison because he did the right thing. It's just it's so opposite of, of his brothers. I'm thinking back to last Sunday, Judah. He got in trouble because he committed adultery. Joseph gets in trouble for refusing to commit adultery. It's, it's almost the exact opposite. But what happens when Joseph goes into prison? It says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Now, it's one thing to see that Joseph was with Maybe if, I mean, we can see a little bit more as a slave, how he could work his way up. But he's in prison. The little bit of freedom he had is all taken away. So what is it that happens? And it seems his rise into basically running the whole prison. He's a prisoner in charge of the prisoners. That happened really quickly. So there's, there's thought that um, likely keeper of the prison knew Joseph even before that. And it would make sense if the prison was actually attached to his house. 
But nevertheless, he's been wrongly imprisoned, and still it says God is with him. So what is that idea of God was with him, God is with us? What does that mean for us? What did it mean for Joseph? Or what did it not mean for Joseph? The Lord was with us, or was with Joseph, did not keep Joseph from being sold as a slave. It didn't keep him from being tempted. It didn't keep him from being wrongly imprisoned. It didn't keep him from disappointment. But it did give him the strength to overcome temptation. God with us does not mean that I just trust God and give it to him because it all makes sense. Now let me explain that a little bit. Sometimes we're in the midst of things, the darkest times in our lives, the, the times of where Joseph finds himself in, unjustly accused, thrown into prison, we're slaves, we've lost everything that we've had, our identity is in, in essence is stripped away from us. Sometimes the last thing we need to hear is, oh, just trust God, he's got a great plan for it. It's true, but that's probably not what we need to hear right now. But what do we need to hear? What helps you with that? Think about times you've been there. What does it do when you know, deep in your heart, that God is with you in it? You see, I think that that statement, God is with us, is not a statement about our circumstances, of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but it is a statement of his grace. It does not mean that I simply perform a certain, to a certain standard that God will then be pleased and the circumstances of life will make sense to me. We see in Joseph's life, at the end, he, it does make sense. He does understand. He says, oh, you guys meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. He sent me here ahead of you. But when you're in the midst of it, it doesn't make sense. But we don't need to be performing for God to be with us. There's no grace in that. So just as a story of our lives, our story of God's grace, the story of Joseph is about God's grace. God's grace is not just giving, it, giving us or not giving us what we deserve or don't deserve, but it is a strength to live and to go on in the hard moments that we find ourselves in. It is the grace that it was grace that blessed Joseph in Potiphar's house. It was grace that gave him the ability to flee the temptation, and it was grace that gave Joseph favor in prison. And grace that is that God's bigger plan was being carried out through Joseph. So what does it mean for us? Grace says, I have experienced rejection so that you don't need to experience it alone. Grace says, I took your pain. I was with you. I, and your, I took your pain and your disappointments to the cross so you don't need to bear them alone. Grace says, I will go with you through the valley of death. Grace says, I will walk with you through your depression. And grace says, I will accomplish my purpose in your life. You see, I believe that Joseph's story here in 39 and God being with him 
is simply a part of God writing a bigger story. And whatever we're in, facing and whatever we're experiencing in life right now is a chapter in a book. We have to remember that. It's just one chapter. There's a bigger story that God's writing us. And God being with us means that God will accomplish that purpose in our lives. Joseph didn't see it at the time, and we may not see it at the time. But be assured that God is with you and will be with you. That is all I have. If you would, stand please for a word of prayer. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the story that you've given to us here in Genesis uh, 39 about Joseph. Lord, thank you that you, you have given us these, these stories like Joseph's story to remind us that these people were just like us. They experienced the same things that we did. They experienced ups and downs in their lives. They experienced highs. They experienced disappointments. And we see how your presence was with Joseph in the darkest of his times and in his successes. And we know and we trust that you walk with us through all the circumstances that we are facing And we're so grateful for that today, God. Remind us of that and strengthen us. Thank you for the grace that you pour out into us every day. You give us grace for the moment, and we depend on you and we trust you for that. For your honor, for your glory, dismiss us and give us a wonderful week as a church here. In your name we pray, amen.